not to be a chameleon Christian. And you weren't that. Praise the Lord. You know what a chameleon Christian is? They adapt themselves nicely to every situation. You know? Don't be a chameleon Christian. Be a child of God. Hallelujah. I must say it's so wonderful. I remember years and years ago, uh, I'm no longer the same. Hallelujah. Every three, uh, seven years, I'm a totally different person. You know, through the things in my body, we change. The body is renewed, all the cells within seven years. And uh, that's interesting. So I'm not bored to see you here this morning. I'm happy. Hallelujah. And God bless you. I remember when I was a young man, and I was working uh, in this engineering place. And when we had uh, lunch or breakfast, you know, I took my, my um, bag and I sat on the bench. And then I put my hands together and prayed. And thanked the Lord for the food. That's normal. Christians do that. Is that right? Christians do that. And when I finished, somebody from the other side called out very loud, Amen! <laughs> then everybody knew what happened. This Werner had prayed. Yes, I do pray, hallelujah. And it's important, not the world sets the tone. We are an example. We set the tone for Jesus, Amen. If they don't want to pray, it's their business. But I'm going to pray. And as I said recently, you know, I was in a shopping center and had a coffee and I prayed. And somebody was next to me there at the table said, are you religious? And no, I'm a Christian. Hallelujah. Do we have religious people here this morning? Do we? No, I've got no message for you. But if you're born again, I've got a message for you. Hallelujah. Because we speak of this book. This book is not religious. It's a book of truth. It's the book of life. Amen. And here's the word of life. Glory. Hallelujah. Keep going the way you walk with the Lord and get even more on fire for the Lord. Hallelujah. Even in the most impossible circumstances, we dare to be a child of God. Hallelujah. And that was with Daniel. So, you know, when there was a um, word coming from the king, nobody should ask anything from any other one. And prayer was forbidden. And Daniel, he was praying five times every day. And people came to his uh, room underneath the window and they were listening. Ah, he is praying. And they had something against him because he was dismissing the law of the king. And he was praying and God has blessed him. Hallelujah. And I wish all our young people when you come together in a kind of youth meeting or youth get together, encourage each other in this world to be a child of God. Amen. Amen. There are enough people in a restaurant 
who don't pray. But when you come, you pray, don't you? Don't you? Oh, yes, I do. Hallelujah. And I want to continue this morning with Paul on his traveling area or wherever he was. And I want to continue today, Paul before the Sanhedrin. Now we, we see in the life of Paul, he had many, many times where he had to speak why he is a Christian and why he is different than others. And we're going to read from Acts chapter 22, verse 30 to 23. That means verse 23 or chapter 23 from 1 to 11. But on the next day, wishing to know for certain why he had been accused by the Jews, he released him and ordered the chief priests and all the council to assemble and brought Paul down and set him before them. Paul, looking intently at the council, said, Brethren, I have lived out my life with a, with a perfect good conscience before God up to this day. It's good to have a good conscience. Amen? Have you got this morning a good conscience? Hallelujah. My conscience has been cleansed by the blood of the Lamb. Amen? Hallelujah. I don't see any reason why Christians should have a bad conscience. Because we have been cleansed by the blood of the Lamb. And Paul says, up to this day I have lived with a good conscience. And that's good. And then he continued here. Uh, the Bible says here, verse 2, The high priest Ananias commanded those standing beside him to strike him on the mouth. Then Paul said to him, God is going to strike you, you whitewashed wall. Do you sit to try me according to the law and violating of the law according or in order to strike me? But the bystanders said, do you revile God's high priest? And Paul said, I was not aware, brethren, that he was high priest, for it is written, and Paul knew the Bible, you shall not speak evil of a ruler of your people. But perceiving that one group were Sadducees and the other Pharisees, Paul began crying out in the council, brethren, I am a Pharisee a son of Pharisees. I'm on trial for the hope and the resurrection of the dead. As he said this, there occurred a dissension between the Pharisees and Sadducees, and the assembly was divided. For the Sadducees say, there is no resurrection, nor our angels, nor our, our spirit, but the Pharisees acknowledged them all. And there occurred a great uproar, and some of the scribes of the Pharisees, Pharisaic parties stood up and began to argue uh, heatedly, saying, We find nothing wrong with this man. Suppose a spirit or an angel has spoken to him. 
And as a great dissension was developing, the commander was afraid Paul would be taken away, or Paul would be torn to pieces. And they ordered the troops to go down and take him away from them by force and bringing him in the barracks. But on that night, immediately following, the Lord stood at his side and said, Take courage, for as you have solemnly witnessed to my cause at Jerusalem, so you must witness to Rome also. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day. We thank the Lord that you are here. We do worship you. You are the greatest majesty. Oh Lord Jesus, I will bless your wonderful name. You are here in our midst and I pray, Lord, that our hearts might be open to listen to your word. Help me to preach your word, Lord Jesus. Help us, O oh Lord, to listen to your word and also help us to act up on your word in the precious and wonderful name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. Now the centurion, he wanted to know what is it actually about this man, so-called Paul. Why is he being hated? Why is he being accused by the Jews? Because before he hurt him, but he didn't understand everything. In his defense then, Paul was speaking and Jewish dialect, actually. And that was Aramaic. And he didn't understand anything of it. He wanted to, what is it about Paul? What is it? Because he was responsible before Caesar that this prisoner is being handled rightly. And he couldn't bring any prisoner to Rome and not knowing what is he accused of. And he he wanted to find out, and he ordered the whole council, the Sanhedrin in Jerusalem, to get together. And he wanted to know what will they find out of him. Now that was interesting. And we see here, Paul was there. And the first thing he addressed them with was brethren. In other words, he showed, you are my brethren. I belong to this uh, people as well, to this people of Israel, brethren. And he said very clearly, he looked intently at the council. And everybody was waiting, what is he going to say? And he said very clearly, I have from up to this day, I've lived a life with a perfect good conscience. Is that right what he said? Was a little bit arrogant of Paul, do you reckon? Pun? It's the truth. It's the truth. Some people, some Christians have sometimes always a bad conscience. You know why I know that? When we come for prayer, they just can't pray. Why can't you pray? 
Why are you missing the prayer meeting? That's the place where we come together as children, amen, and worship him. That's so good. My dear brother said something very interesting. He said our prayer meeting is what? The engine room. Have you ever been in an engine room of a ship? You should go on the Mari with Emmy Lou or what is the ship being called there? Mary Lou or so. And I went there with friends and then I'm interested all into the mechanical things. And you know in the middle of that ship you can look down and you see a steam engine and everything is going but in an engine room in a modern ship nowadays it's even louder. And if the prayer meeting is an engine room don't be surprised if it gets loud. Everybody is praying and worshiping. One says, praise the Lord. The other says, hallelujah. And we are praying. And when we pray, we pray sometimes all together. Amen. Hallelujah. That's what the early church did. It can get loud, my dear brother, in the engine room. Amen. And don't worry about it if it gets loud. When we praise the Lord, it's wonderful. Now he addressed them with this word, brethren. Now was this a little bit arrogant of Paul when he said here, I have lived my life with a perfect conscience before God up to this day. Are you here this morning with a good conscience or a bad conscience? I don't know. Why I must preach this? It's important if you suffer always under a bad conscience, there's something wrong in your life. Christ has redeemed us and his redemption in our life must be so that we are free from any guilt. Hallelujah. We are walking with Jesus free from any guilt. Amen. And that's what Paul could say. Paul said this very clearly. Our life can be a victorious life. Now listen to Paul as he rejoices in Romans chapter 8, verse 1 and 2. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set, our, has set you free from the law of sin and of death. What a wonderful thing. That's what Paul believed. That's what Paul taught. Amen. Can we believe what Paul taught? I believe so. And that's what he said. And he said, I've lived till now without bad conscience or with a good conscience. Hallelujah. Of course, if you're living not right as the Lord wants you to walk, and if there's a bad conscience, that is normal. That you get aware by the Spirit of God that you were not walking in the way the Lord wanted you to walk. But in general, the Bible says very clearly, a good conscience is necessary for every child. Amen? And I tell you why. 
If you're constantly under a bad conscience, then there's something wrong and it has to be changed. We have to have a good conscience as Paul had it. Amen? That's important. In 1 John chapter 3, verse 21 and 22. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God. Amen? What does it mean if our heart does not condemn us? Is it a bad conscience if there's condemnation in our heart? But if our heart does not condemn us, then we have a good conscience. And the Bible says, and whatever we ask, we receive from him because we keep his commandments and we do the things that are pleasing in his sight. Without a good conscience, we can't please God and we can't pray successfully. If you always would come with a bad conscience before God, we can't pray. There was a prophet in the Old Testament. We all know this prophet. He got an order from the Lord to go to a certain place, Nineveh. And he didn't want to go there. And he took another boat and went somewhere else. And there was a storm. We know this prophet. And his name is Jonah. And where did he go? He went down into the boat. There should have been the engine room for that boat. What did he do? He slept there. And there was a horrible storm. And all the crew of the ship came down. They were looking for this man. They remember there was a funny guy coming on board. And he wanted to go somewhere. Where is he? He should have made an engine room down in the boat and not a bedroom. And he slept there. And the captain said, come on, get up and pray to your God. If you read it, it's been written with a little G. Your God. They thought, well, he is a kind of a guy who has got some other God as any God. But when the Bible speaks in the Bible and it reads there with a capital G, it's God, the creator of everything. And all the other gods with a little G, there are no gods at all. Amen? No gods at all. They are but gods with a little G. Come on and pray to you, God. What did he say? Pastor Gary, did he come up and say, okay, let's uh, sing a chorus and we've got to go all on our knees and we all pray. No. Why couldn't he pray? Why couldn't he pray? He was not right with God and he knew if I would now try to pray, it's just a prayer being made, but not a prayer being prayed. Do you see the difference? We can make prayers and we can pray prayers and there's a vast difference. And we see he didn't pray. The captain asked, come on, pray. Why couldn't he pray? He knew he was not right 
with God to, he, to whom he was supposed to pray. He did not pray. Our conscience has been cleansed, and that's why we can walk with a clean conscience. Amen? Or did you get used to a bad conscience? That means getting used to all this pain in your body. Do you like pain in your body? Every day, every night, that's a bad, bad conscience. But when the conscience has been cleansed, then you can walk with him. There's nothing in your life that will hold you back. And we have a scripture, and I learned it very, very, very early. When I was a young kid, about 14, 13, 14 years. In our time then, we had a Bible education from the pastor. Now the, the age of the boys, 12 to 14, you know, or girls. We had an afternoon during the week with the pastor, and he taught us. And I remember this scripture. I remember this scripture. We had to learn as well. And it's Hebrews chapter 9, the verses 13 and 40. For if the blood of goats and bulls and the ashes of the heifer, sprinkling those who have been defiled, sanctify for the cleansing of their flesh, how much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish, to God, cleanse our conscience for, uh, from dead works to serve the living God. How do we serve the living God? With a muddled conscience or a clean conscience? I clean conscience. Think about, think about, if your conscience is being cleansed by the blood of the Lamb, then we can serve God with a clean conscience. Amen. Hallelujah. Have you lived up to this day? As Paul said, I have lived up to this day with a good conscience before God. Is he lying? Or is he just jumping over all the mistakes he might have made last week and so on? No, he was walking with the Lord. He had a clean conscience. Hallelujah. Blessed be the name of Jesus. It is so wonderful to be cleansed. I remember when I was preaching in a tent meeting in Switzerland, a young girl came to the Lord and afterwards I showed her the way to salvation. You know how we do it, everybody could do it, every Christian. Where do you start when you wanted to lead somebody to Jesus? Oh, you have to come every Sunday to church. That? Where do you start leading somebody to Jesus? You show him first that everybody is a sinner. And Romans 3, 30, uh, 23. Because we are all sinners, or they are all sinners, and 
coming short of the glory of God. And that you lead them further. And the blood of Jesus cleanses us. That is Romans 6, 23. And the blood of Jesus cleanses us. And then we come to the scripture we heard this morning in 1 Corinthians or 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. Then he made him who knew no sin, sin for us, or actually a sin sacrifice for us, that we might become the righteousness before God, or actually God's righteousness. Hallelujah. Have you been cleansed? Have you been to Jesus at the cleansing fountain? Have you? I should actually hear a loud hallelujah now. Where, where is this? Have you been at, at Jesus to the cleansing flood? Amen. Hallelujah. Have you got a clean conscience? Amen. Cleansed by the blood of the Lamb. Hallelujah. I remember when I was a young preacher. Could you imagine that I was young once as well? Yes. And obviously I must have been a very joyous pastor. And I took the word of Spurgeon very, very clear. Because Spurgeon said, make a pastor sad and put him behind the pulpit, and he will achieve nothing. Nothing. I must have been a rejoice, or a joyful pastor, and I was preaching, and one day, a lady came to me, and she said, don't you have any problem in your life? So, yes. I, do you believe that I had problems and have problems too? Do you believe so? And I said, but I'm not going behind the pulpit and speak about my problems. I talk about Jesus, hallelujah. And everyone who preaches the word of God must preach Jesus. A pastor from America, he said once years and years ago, I have got a little sticker on my pulpit here somewhere for any guest speaker to know and here was a sticker. Talk about Jesus. Amen. We should have a sticker here too. That everyone who speaks here, talk about Jesus. Preach Jesus. And that's so wonderful. Now we have been cleansed by the blood. Paul was reprehended by the high priest. The high priest said, well, there was somebody next to him. Wreck him on his mouth. Imagine you standing there. You said somebody, somebody next to you, Peter. In this case, it would be your wife. She wouldn't do that. I know. And putting, yeah, <laughs> and so on. What did Paul do? What should we do in cases like this? And Paul was in some in, unimaginable situation in his whole life. Pardon? Yes? Yes? That's the other thing what Jesus said too. But he learned something. And it's this. 
He did not revile in turn. Don't revile in turn. If you have been accused of anything, I don't know. It's one of the hardest things for me as a young pastor. If people would say something, they were wrong. That's the hardest thing to take, isn't it? The hardest thing. But Peter says something about the Lord. And who is our example? Amen. Can I hear it? Who is our example? Can I hear it? Oh, only one or two brethren. Who is our example? Jesus. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. And Peter brings it very clearly out. And he says in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 21 and 23, For you have been called for this purpose, since Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example for you to follow in his steps, who committed no sin, nor was any deceit found in his mouth. And while being reviled, he did not revile in return. While suffering, he uttered no threat, but kept entrusting himself to him who judges rightly. Hallelujah. If you have been blamed for anything you haven't done, don't worry, don't try to revile. Entrusted unto him who judges right. And who is that? The Lord himself. Hallelujah. And I tell you, when he comes into judgment, every, every accusing mouth will zip. And has got nothing to say anymore. When the Lord speaks. Hallelujah. And that's what Peter said. What Jesus was. Paul did not revile the high priest. We can read it in verse 3. Then Paul said to him, God is going to strike you, you whitewashed wall. Do you sit to try me according to the law and in violation of the Lord order me to be struck? Now this was not in anger. We must understand a little bit history. Paul was actually prophesying here something. The Lord will strike you. There was not in anger. Or do you believe Paul was acting in anger? No. You and I, we should never act in anger. Never act in fever. Never operate in fever. The doctors in the hospital know it exactly. If you are still in fever in your body, they don't put the knife to you. The fever has to come down. And that's also with us. When we have problems, don't react in fever when you're angry. Don't be proud of it when you, when you say, but I really gave him or her. No, nothing to be proud about. Nothing. Jesus, he put everything in the hands of the Lord. He could have had 
a legion of angels stepping in in the situation when he was suffering. Did he do it, Peter? No way. No way. He was in a position to do so, but he didn't. Brothers and sisters, that's the nature of the Lamb. Amen? That's the nature of the Lamb. And we see here, Paul actually made a prophecy. According to Josephus, everybody knows who Josephus was. He was a Jewish historian. This high priest, Ananias, experienced something similar as David experienced with his son Absalom. His son, the son of Ananias, the high priest, he was in the background revolting against him. And he got some rebels and they were after him. And this high priest, he went into a shaft in his palace to hide himself from the rebels. And he got being pulled down from there, out of the shaft. And then he got killed. This was a prophecy, not an angry outburst. It's horrible. People with angry outbursts. Did you see it in Jesus anyway? No way. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Jesus, the Lamb of God, conquered Satan and the power of sin. Now we see here in verse 5, and Paul said, I was not aware, brethren, that he was the high priest, for it is written, you shall not speak evil of a ruler of your people. Paul knew this scripture very well. And Paul knew that you shouldn't say things against him. Now, other scholars, they thought Paul could have had a vision impairment. Something was in his body. He speaks about a, a what? Actually, a thorn in the flesh. He had somewhere in his life an impairment. I don't know. But some might have thought he was not able. He had perhaps a vision impairment and couldn't see this man as the high priest. He might have known there is somebody, but he didn't know. He said, I didn't know. And then, of course, he apologized and said, well, the Bible says, or the law says, you should not revile or speak evil against one of the um, authorities of your people. Now, Paul gives now his real reason why he was on trial. Why was he on trial there? Remember, the, the commander of the Roman cohort, he wanted to know what's the matter, why are people so mad at, again 
or against Paul. And Paul gives the reason. Why was she on trial? Why was she on trial? Get your Bible. Why was she on trial? I'm on trial for the hope and resurrection of the dead. Hallelujah. That was his trial. Reason. He was on trial because he said something. And he had proof as well that Jesus Christ, the one who was killed and marred and crucified, that he rose again. And we know the story about the resurrection of Jesus Christ and, we, and how the council brought all the soldiers who were watching the grave together and said, now listen, listen. In order that the second problem would not be bigger as the first, you say that the disciples, his disciples came and what? Stole him. And Paul gives us a wonderful proof in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 or chapter 15. You remember? According to the scripture. And Jesus was seen at once by how many? 500 people. Aha. Uh -huh. He knew exactly about the resurrection. And that's why he was preaching these things. That's why he was an, an argument of anger. And people were angry at him. But was he wrong? No. Jesus rose again. Hallelujah. He rose again. Forget all the other stories who came about Jesus rose again. And you know, there are actually two things the world is angry about and can't take off the message of Christianity. The first thing is the virgin birth of Jesus. That's what they can't and don't want to understand. Talk with a Muslim about that. And I tell you what, I tell you what, they will tell you anything. They have somewhere, I think that is a rule, what is it? Surah number nine or something. I read it once. Their story of the birth of Esau is this. Miriam, and that's the way they say it. It's actually Mary. She was sitting under a palm tree, a dattle, a date tree. And some fluid came down on her and all of a sudden Jesus was born, or Esau was born. Now, the Bible speaks very clearly. And it's important that we believe Jesus was born by the Virgin Mary. Hallelujah. It's so important. That's the first thing People don't want to know. And it's so important, the virgin birth. Because he will be the seed of the 
Garden Eden, the seed of the woman. The seed of the woman. The Muslims have no idea about They don't know about it. They don't know the scripture. And the next thing, it's a stumbling block for many, many. It is this, the resurrection of Jesus. If we don't believe in the resurrection of Jesus, my dear brother Colin, that you this morning here and did everything what you did was in vain. If Jesus was not raised again. But he rose again. Hallelujah. And he speaks here. I've been. He actually charged. This, uh, for this. For the hope of resurrection. Of Jesus. And that was. What he was charged for. And I tell you what. The resurrection. There are two resurrections. There's a resurrection first to life. And you know the scripture in John, where John speaks in chapter 5, 28 and 29. Jesus said, do not marvel at this, for an hour is coming in which all who are in the tomb will hear his voice. And will come forth those who did the good deed to our resurrection of, of life. Those who committed the evil deed to our res resurrection of, of what? Judgment. There are two resurrections. And Paul knew very clearly the first resurrection is a resurrection to life. Hallelujah. We were at a funeral, I think the week before last, wasn't it? And uh, the pastor spoke about the resurrection. There's going to be a resurrection. And Paul puts us this, those who are asleep in Christ. Do you know what it means? Okay, some Christians say, Oh, these are the, the dead Christians who are spiritually dead. No. Those who sleep in Christ, who lived in Christ and died in Christ. Hallelujah. They will be first resurrected for life. And you know, who knows the best picture for resurrection? What is that? What we can, how can we put it and compare it with? Resurrection in the Bible is being compared with what? Harvest. Harvest. What did Jesus say? Yes. What did Jesus say? There were some Greeks, they wanted to see Jesus and they came to Thomas said, sir, we want to see Jesus. And somebody went to Jesus and said, well, there's actually some Greeks, like our dear people, our brothers and sisters in the back. They want to see you. They want to see you. What did Jesus say? Oh, well, they should wait a little bit. The time is going to come. They will see me then when I rose again. 
Know what he said. He said this. Unless a grain of wheat is being put into the earth. Otherwise, this grain will be remain alone. But if it's being put in the ground, what happens then? It will come up. It will grow up. Hallelujah. And there will be something new. Hallelujah. Did you know? I read it years and years and years and years ago. You know, these old Egyptian pharaohs, you know, they gave them heaps of grain of wheat into the so-called sarcophagus. So that they have in the life after enough to eat. And those who d dug up all these tombs, you know, they took this, these grains and put, it, they put them into the ground, or the ground. Guess what? Guess what? Guess what? These grains came up again. Hallelujah. So Jesus speaks about his life as a grain that had to be put into the ground. And if not, it will not come up, but then it will come up. And we have a scripture that these grains will come up. Thirtyfold, sixtyfold, and up to a hundredfold. You know what it teaches me? Resurrection is multiplication. Hallelujah. The life with Jesus here on earth is wonderful, wonderful, wonderful. But after the resurrection, you should see then the glory of God revealed or revealed in your body. Amen. And there's a chapter in 1 Corinthians. Everybody knows the chapter. Chapter where it speaks about the resurrection. Have you ever read 1 Corinthians chapter 15? And go and dig into the scripture. And Paul speaks about that one glory of the star is greater than the glory of another star. And he speaks about the resurrection, the new body in the new life in the eternity. Hallelujah. We get a new body. Hallelujah. I don't want to put any wrong teaching here. But there's some people, they almost experience gold dust. Have you heard about gold dust appearances? What will God take then at the resurrection for the new body? Is he going to take, this is not biblical what I say now, is he going to take gold dust and make a new person as he did at the beginning from earth dust? No. The Bible speaks very clearly there will be a change, a change, hallelujah. What it will be looking like, I don't know. But one thing I know, God is able to do it from a body like this 
that is corruptible to bring forth a uncorruptible body. Hallelujah. And there is also a scripture. Remember that. In the Old Testament where I think Zacharias he spoke about of a new temple that is going to be built. You know when Israel came or the Jews came back from Babylon and there was one word the prophets then said this the glory of the second temple will be greater than the glory of the first temple. Hallelujah. I haven't been in Israel and haven't seen the glory of Solomon's temple. There was supposed to be a wonderful, glorious temple. But the prophet said then, but the glory of the second temple. Now what is this here? What is this here? Temple of the Holy Ghost. Amen? Now, if this temple is so wonderful, and I must say, I must say, God has done a wonderful work. The body, a human body, functions so wonderful, so wonderful, and God has thought at any, any little details in your body. If you get honey under your tongue or on your tongue, you taste sweet, isn't it? Amen. How, is it, how does it function to s- taste the sweetness of honey and you register it in your brain somewhere and it tastes good? Now, this is just being made from a bit dust of red dust before, before Eden was. Now, what is going to be the second temple, the resurrected temple of my body. Sister Vani, could you tell me that? There would be something wonderful. Hallelujah. No pain anymore. No sleep anymore. And we don't have to take drugs anymore. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. It will be wonderful. Now, Sometimes I feel I could go on and on if I come onto the right track of the word of God. Hallelujah. So this resurrection and Daniel, he was so great. And he said, many of those who sleep in the dust of the ground will awake these to everlasting life, but the other to disgrace and everlasting contempt. Those who have insight will shine brightly like the brightness of the expense of heaven. And those who lead the many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever and ever. Hallelujah. Do you get the hint a little bit? Do you understand it? What Daniel is saying here about the resurrection through, through life will be so glorious. There will be one star is brighter than the other. And as I realized ever since we heard our dear brother 
about the Southern Cross, people were lying, perhaps also on their back on the veranda, looked at the Southern Cross. And you saw so many things. Have you seen that one star shines brighter than the other? And the problem is this. The problem is this. Abram was called, now count all the problems. He couldn't count all or count all the stars. He couldn't count the stars, could he? No. That's how great the seed of Abram was supposed to be. Hallelujah. Now, if we take these words from Daniel, that one star will be outshine the other, what glory will that be? Paul, in his teaching, he was so exuberant about and spoke about of one glory to another glory of the stars. And then there will be the resurrection of judgment. That's what the Bible speaks also very clear. The judgment of life is wonderful, wonderful. Hallelujah is so wonderful. And it could be very soon. Peter, it might be perhaps right around the corner. I don't know. Jesus is coming soon. And all that what we spoke about will then be happening. Amen? Hallelujah. It is worthwhile waiting for Jesus to come. Oh, yes. Who is going to wait for Jesus? I. I am waiting for Jesus. Don't be shy. If you have put your faith in Jesus, lift up your arm and say, I am. I am waiting for Jesus. Now, as multiplication of life in the resurrection for life will be in the same way on the other way. Judgment, that means God will judge everything. He will judge every thought. He will judge everything. And the things you saw perhaps just a little white lie will be in the sight of God a monstrous black lie. And you will see it. Because you have got nothing to compare. Compare the absolute cleanliness and the white of God's righteousness with a little bit of a lie. The lie looks so dark, black, ugly, black as tar. You understand? So we see also, as on that side, life is so multiplied and magnified so also the deeds of the judgment or the, the deeds before the judgment will be magnified too. A little hatred in your heart will appear before God as a full-blown murder, as a full-blown premeditated murder, 
And you know, that's judgment of God. If we would see ourselves. And that's why Paul was accused of, of the resurrection, the resurrection of life and the resurrection of judgment. That day is going to come. The Sadducee nihilism. He said, there is no God. There is no spirit. There is no heaven or resurrection. Their theology will fall flat to the face when you stand before the throne of God. You know, there is a judgment of or resurrection to judgment. Praise the Lord and Thessalonians. Paul says, we are not destined to judgment. Amen? We are not destined to judgment. Hallelujah. And Paul could say, in other words, I put the praise the Lord before. Praise the Lord. Up to this point, I have lived with a clear conscience. There was nothing, nothing that condemned Paul. There was nothing he had to regret about and say, well, I'm sorry. No. He knew, cleansed by the Lamb, by the blood of the Lamb of God. Is there anything in your life? We are standing now before God, brothers and sisters, young people. We are standing before God, is there anything that condemns you? This thing will appear before the judgment seat enormously and you will not be able to speak and give a word of defense for it. That's resurrection. That's resurrection in one way. The beauty and the wonderful glory of God being revealed upon us. Amen. Hallelujah. But judgment, that means if our heart condemns us, then we have got no, no right to pray because we can't pray. So it's important. May the Spirit of God search your heart. Really, really. This is not just another meeting as we otherwise have. It's a meeting where God is challenging us in respect to the resurrection. There is a resurrection. At what resurrection are you, you aiming? Resurrection of life. Hallelujah. Heavenly Father, we thank you. We thank you for your word. 
We thank you what Paul taught us. I thank you, Lord Jesus, for the wonderful glory. And Lord, and if anyone here this morning still feels condemned because of things he or she or somebody has done, perhaps the last week, also God, you know all of our hearts. I pray that your spirit might reveal it to them in such a clear way that we have no doubts any longer. Amen.